mic on. Pad one loaded with air horn adjustable. Pad four loaded with SPL friend request. Pad four loaded with SPL friend request adjustable. Pad four loaded with SPL friend request adjustable. Pad four loaded with SPL friend request adjustable. Time remain. Pad four is playing SPL friend request. Time remaining zero four adjustable. Time remaining zero. Pad four is playing SPL friend request. Pad four loaded with SPL friend request. Time remain. Pad four is playing SPL friend request. Pad four is playing SPL friend request. Time. Mic off. Mic on. Revelations, prosthetic movement, and end time. Mic off. What does the future hold? Where can we find certainty in a world of uncertainty? The Book of Revelation provides hopeful answers for today, tomorrow, and forever. Join Mark Finley, author and world-renowned speaker, on a journey into the future with Revelation's Ancient Discoveries. Welcome back. We've been journeying through the Book of Revelation together discovering God's end-time truths. Have you discovered some new insights in this series? Remember in our first presentation in Revelation 1, verse 1, it says the revelation of Jesus Christ. And in verse 3, it says, blessed are they who read, who hear, and do the things therein. As we've been reading the prophecies of Revelation together, as you've been hearing it and seeing it through the imagery and graphics of the telecast, God has led you, I'm sure, to make decisions for Him. In our program today, we're going to look at one of the most misunderstood topics, one of the most misunderstood subjects in all the Bible, the subject of the true gift of prophecy as compared to the false gift of prophecy. So let's pray God will give us insight as we open His Word. Father in heaven, thank you so much that you give us clear light in your Word. As we come to your word to study the gift of prophecy, give us a sense of your guidance and leading. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. My topic during this presentation is Revelation's prophetic movement at end time. All around the world, people are seeking. They are looking for varying kinds of spirituality. Even unbelievers worship at the shrine of atheism, worship at the shrine of materialism, worship at the shrine of technology, worship at the shrine of pleasure. So all of us worship something. Even unbelievers worship themselves. Yet in this world, because of the lack of genuine biblical faith, because of the lack of heartfelt Christianity, because of the lack of Jesus being the dynamic power in the life, many are turning to spiritualistic resources for, their, for guidance in their spiritual lives. There's really an explosion of interest in psychic phenomena today. 
Some have turned back to a prophet in America, so-called prophet, Gene Dixon. It's interesting, you look at Gene Dixon's prophecies and over 90% of them by objective analysis never came true. You wonder, was God wrong during that period of time? Certainly not. Some look to the sleeping prophet Edgar Cayce, but yet do you look at some of his predictions? Maybe some vaguely have come true, but you look at most of them, of course, were utter failures. And people look to varying prophets. Uh, some time ago in the United States, a Eastern mystic, Maharaja Ji, rose up and really fostered a lot of interest in the whole idea of, of messiahship and prophecy, but yet those who went to the stadiums and heard Maharaja Ji ended up really empty, barren, a few years passed and they recognized they were following a false messiah. Jesus warns us very much against the counterfeit. He, in fact, in his sermon in Matthew chapter 24, verse 24, on end events, Jesus said, false Christs and false prophets will arise show great signs and wonders to deceive. Christ had been talking about famines and earthquakes, wars and pestilences, rising crime and violence. And in the context of his sermon on end events, he says, false Christ and false prophets will arise. And then he says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. So just before the coming of Christ, there would be a rise of those movements claiming to be guided by the gift of prophecy. And as the result of that, many would turn from the Bible, they would give their allegiance to these false prophets and be ultimately totally deceived. We see this happening all around us today. In the United States, there are about 3,000 different astrology columns that people refer to. Almost in every city, you'll see signs in front of homes saying, psychic reader here, or tarot cards readings here, or your future here revealed. In fact, Many of these psychics are using modern technology and they are coming onto the internet and they're having interviews on the internet and you can have psychic channeling through the internet by paying a certain fee on your credit card. Interest in psychic phenomena is just exploding. Over seven million in America are following some kind of cult leader and in addition to that millions more are tuning in to psychic phenomena they're checking out of genuine Christianity. Now what does the Bible teach about the genuine gift of prophecy? Will uh, the gift of prophecy be manifest in the last days of verse history? Is the gift of prophecy one of the identifying marks of God's last day church. In Ephesians 4 verse 8 we read, therefore he says, this is Jesus, when he ascended on high he led captivity captive, 
Jesus led death captive. And as evidence of that, you remember the Bible says that some graves were opened and some of those who had died came out of their graves and uh, they ascend to heaven with Christ. Another translation here is he led captivity or a host of captives. He leads them back into heaven as trophies, as honor guard of his resurrection power. But he gives gifts to men. What are those gifts? Jesus ascends to heaven. He's no longer with his earthly church, no longer here to guide it and give it direction. The Father embraces Christ as he welcomes him home. And Jesus, as the result of being inaugurated as Savior and inaugurated as high priest in heaven, he begins to give earthly gifts to his church. What are these gifts of the Spirit? that come from Christ, the resurrected Christ, the Christ who is our high priest, the Christ that stands at our behalf in heaven. What are these gifts? The Bible tells us, Ephesians 4, verse 11 and 12, he gave himself some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Here are the gifts. He gives apostles. What are they? divine administrators who guide God's church with heavenly authority, prophets, those who see visions and guide the church through its visions, evangelists, those who have the ability to proclaim the Word of God to large audiences and lead them to Christ and truth, pastors, those that shepherd God's flock, teachers, those that have the unique ability to teach God's Word. Let me ask you this question. Do we still need divine administrators in the church today? Do we? Do we need evangelists in the church who can preach God's word powerfully to large groups and lead them to Christ? Do we need pastors in the church to shepherd local congregations? I thank God for faithful pastors who shepherd congregations. Do we need teachers in the church today that uh, are instructing, they have the unusual ability to instruct in the Word of God, certainly. Do we need the divine gift of prophecy? Somebody says, Pastor, I, I'm kind of afraid of the gift of prophecy. If Jesus gives us a gift, I want that gift, don't you? I don't want to say, Jesus, I'm not going to open your gift. Jesus, I'm too afraid of your gift. Why is the gift of prophecy given to the church? Why are all these gifts given? For the equipping of the saints, that is to equip the believers for the work of ministry. So the function of all the gifts of the Spirit is to prepare God's people to do ministry in the community and service in the world and to proclaim the gospel for the edifying of the body of Christ. So the reason he gives apostles and pastors and evangelists and teachers and prophets is to build up his church. That's the function. If God has given a gift to build up his church, I don't want to turn away from that gift to you. Jesus gave these gifts to the church to strengthen it, to accomplish its mission in proclaiming the gospel to the world. Now, here is a single truth that will help you avoid a million errors about prophecy. The Bible says that God gives the gifts to the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, God says through the apostle Paul, that he's put the gifts in the church, like a diamond set within a diamond ring. If you want to find the true gift of prophecy, where do you look? You don't look at some so-called prophet, 
some so-called psychic that pops up here anywhere. You have to find God's true church to find the true gift of prophecy. So the true gift of prophecy is placed within the church to nurture it, to guide it, to build it up. Never to take the place of the Bible, but it's given to minister to God's people, to equip God's people for service. Now, how long would these gifts remain in the church? Would the gift of pastoring be taken out of the church after the death of Christ and the disciples when the New Testament canon of Scripture ended? Would the gift of uh, teachers or evangelists or apostles, would that be removed from the church? Not at all. The church would need these gifts how long? Till we all come in the unity of the faith. Has that happened yet? Not at all. And of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should be no longer children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. So all of the gifts of the Spirit were given by God to protect His church, to build up His church, to enable His church to have its function of mission in the world and prepare a world for the soon coming of Jesus. When Christ ascends to heaven, he does warn about the false gift of prophecy, but he does say that the genuine gift of prophecy would be one of his gifts that he gave to his people. Why did he give the gift of prophecy? 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 7, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation or the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the church, waiting for the coming of Christ, would have the fullness of the gifts of the Spirit operating within it. The church anticipating the second coming would be a Bible-based church. It would be a church based on the Word of God alone. It would be a grace-filled church, a church that believed that salvation came only and totally by grace. It would be a Christ-centered church. It would be a church that would love Jesus so much that it would be a law-abiding church. It would keep His commandments, including the Bible, Sabbath. It would be a Sabbath-keeping church. And it would be a church, once you find a church that's an Adventist church, once you find a Bible-based, grace-filled church, once you find a church that upholds God's law in a time of lawlessness, once you find a Sabbath-keeping church, you should expect within that church to find the genuine, authentic gift of prophecy. Jesus promised that the gift of prophecy would be revived in the last days of earth's history. Now, there are two great dangers. Here's what they are. One danger that the devil desires to deceive people with is to get them to accept the counterfeit. So, if the devil can get people to accept a counterfeit gift of prophecy, he can lock their minds in deception. If he can get them to accept a counterfeit gift of prophecy, he can lead them from the Bible and lead them to Christ. But there's another deception, and that is to reject the genuine. It is, if he can't get them to accept the counterfeit, if he can get them to reject the genuine gift of prophecy, he will deny them the privilege and the joy of having prophetic insight to guide them and nurture their spiritual lives in the last days of earth's history. Now, there are often those people that say, as I lecture on the gift of prophecy, well, pastor, I've read this on the internet about this prophet or this on the internet. I've checked this out. And uh, do you let the internet be your guide? Merely because you read something on the internet? 
Does that mean that the something you read on the internet is genuine, authentic? As a Christian, I don't want to let the internet be my guide, friend. I want to let the Bible be my guide. What do you say? Now, how can we tell the difference between the true and the false gift of prophecy? If the devil wants us to accept the counterfeit, I want to run a million miles from that, don't you? But if the devil wants us to reject the true, I want to run a million miles from that. Because if Jesus is a gift for his last day church, I want to accept that gift, don't you? So let's go to the Bible and try to discover the hallmarks, try to discover the clear keys to understanding the true gift of prophecy. First, Numbers 12, verse 6. The Bible says this, if there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. Now, notice clearly the phrase, if there's a prophet among you, that's in ancient Israel. That would be in the New Testament church. So, the prophet has to be among God's people. The gift of prophecy is a gift given to the church. Any book, so-called prophet that springs up saying, I have this prophecy or that prophecy about the world. That's not the function of the gift of prophecy. The function is to build up, nurture, and prepare God's church for mission. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known to him in a vision or speak to him in a dream. Now, prophets receive messages from God in two basic ways. First, an angel will bring them a vision or a dream. You see this in the prophecies of Daniel. You see this in the prophecies of John in Revelation. The prophet receives a vision or a dream from God. Secondly, there are times that the Holy Spirit impresses the prophet's mind. And the prophet is not necessarily in vision or dream, but in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the prophet impresses their mind and they write down in the context of their own language, with their own background, the very truth of God that God through His Spirit has impressed upon their mind. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, all Scripture is given by what? Inspiration of God. So the Bible given to us by true gift of prophecy is written by the inspiration of God. God inspires the prophet's mind. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21 says, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So the gift of prophecy is given to us by the Holy Spirit. It is given to the church to guide, direct, strengthen, and nurture the church. Now, not all of the Bible writers were, not all of God's prophets are Bible writers. I want to make sure that point is clear to you. Throughout Scripture, there are genuine prophets that never had written one book in the Bible. Now, what's the difference between Bible writers and other true prophets? The Bible writer's message is universal in its application, that is, it applies to everyone everywhere, and it is eternal in time. That means it applies in every generation. But there are prophets that God raised up in the Bible whose prophecies were not universal in application. They applied to a particular place at a particular time. They might apply to a famine that was going to take place right then to warn God's people. So their messages were not eternal in time. They were local, but they were genuine prophets, and they weren't universal in application. They applied to a particular location. You say, can you give me some examples of that? Certainly. Um, there were many women prophets in the Bible. Deborah was a judge, but also a prophetess in the Bible. 
She has no books in the Bible that she has written, but her prophecies particular were for a given period of time. Hulda is another good example, or the daughters of Philip. These are all the Bible says genuine prophets or prophetesses, but yet they prophesy for a particular period of time. So two kinds of prophets. Biblical prophets, their prophecies are eternal and universal. Local prophets that are given to God's people for a specific period of time. What are the true tests of the gift of prophecy? How can you know whether the gift of prophecy is genuine or not? The Bible gives us six tests of the gift of prophecy. First, prophetic accuracy. A genuine prophet is accurate 100% of the time. Jeremiah 28 verse 9 says, as for the prophet who prophesies of peace, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, the prophet will be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent. So when you read the prophecies of some of these so-called prophets in our world today that pop up here or there, one, you know they're not true because they're not planted within the church, the Christian community, the people of God, God's grace-filled, Bible-believing, Sabbath-keeping movement. That's where God puts the true gift of prophecy today, according to Scripture. He puts it in His church. But many of these prophets, so-called prophets, false prophets, make prophecies and they don't come to pass. The Bible says prophetic accuracy. You know that the prophet is sent to the Lord if their prophets truly come to pass. Now you say, well, what about Jonah's prophecy or others' prophecy? In the Bible, there are conditional prophecies, and those conditional prophecies depend on a response for the people. So it would be more accurate to say where prophecies are not conditional, where they don't depend on a response from the people, the prophet is 100% accurate. God's true prophets are accurate because God doesn't confuse the message. So if you have all these prophets that so-called make predictions and these predictions are erroneous, does God confuse his message? Did he get it wrong? Certainly not. So that's the first characteristic of a true prophet. Second characteristic of a true prophet is biblical faithfulness. A genuine prophet of God, an authentic prophet of God, always is faithful to the Bible. Gen the genuine gift of prophecy leads us back to the Bible. It doesn't lead us away from the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 1 to 4. You see, there may be a prophecy that comes to pass by a prophet, but if the prophet leads you away from the Bible, that's a false prophet. You have to have all six of these characteristics. If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or wonder. Now watch this carefully. And the sign or the wonder comes to pass. Must be true, right? He gave a prophecy and it came to pass. Not so. Of which he spoke to you saying, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. So here is a prophet that rises. And the prophet who rises makes a prediction that is true, but that prediction leads you from biblical truth. That prediction leads you from the Word of God. That prediction leads you from the teachings of the Bible. What do you know? You know that that prophet is a false prophet. So you have to have at least these first two and all of the six. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice. 
So in other words, merely because the prophecy comes true, if it leads you away from the things of God, the scripture says, walk after the Lord your God, fear his commandments, keep, obey his voice, you shall serve him. And I love this word, hold fast to him. In other words, don't go aping after, wandering after, gazing after, following some false prophet. If the so-called prophet is not leading a person to the word of God to be faithful to scripture, they are blatantly false. The genuine gift of prophecy leads back to scripture. Thirdly, the true gift of prophecy exalts Jesus. The, you know, I love that old poem, Lord, make me a nail upon the wall, a thing so humble and so small, but can hold a picture of your lovely face. That's what the true gift of prophecy is. They exalt Jesus. Remember John the Baptist, a true prophet? In fact, Jesus says there wasn't such a great prophet that was born of women. And do you remember, he said, behold the Lamb of God. He pointed men and women to Christ. The Bible is plain. 1 John 4, verse 1 and 2. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Do what, everybody? Test the spirits, whether they are of God. But this you know, the Spirit of God. By this you know, the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. In other words, when you have some so-called prophet saying, oh, Jesus is a good man, but he's not divine. If they don't believe that Christ, the divine Son of God, came in the flesh and paid salvation's price for you and for me, if they do not believe that Christ is the Son of God incarnate in human flesh, know immediately that that individual is a false prophet. What is their relationship to Jesus? Do they believe in the divinity of Christ? Do they believe in the supernatural miracle working power of Christ? Do they believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ? Do they believe that Jesus Christ is coming again? If they do not believe in the essence of Christ, in who Christ was, that he lived, he died, he ascended to heaven, he is our priest, he is coming again, no that they are false prophets. You see, Revelation 19.10 makes it very plain. It says, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So the genuine gift of prophecy down through the ages testifies of Jesus. Moses testified of the Messiah that was to come. Isaiah and Jeremiah testify of Jesus. The Old Testament prophets testify of Jesus. The New Testament disciples testify of Jesus. So what is the gift of prophecy? What is the testimony of Jesus? The testimony of Jesus is Jesus' witness through his prophet in every generation to guide, direct, and strengthen and encourage his church. The genuine manifestation of the gift of prophecy always exalts, always uplifts Jesus Christ. The fourth thing about the gift of prophecy that we notice, it, the gift, true gift of prophecy has prophetic accuracy. True gift of prophecy, biblical faithfulness. True gift of prophecy exalts Jesus. True gift of prophecy leads men and women back to commandment keeping. Isaiah 8 verse 20, to the law and to the testimony. If they, that is prophets, that is those proclaiming to be genuine, authentic, and true. If they do not speak according to this word, that's the teachings of Scripture, the testimony of Scripture, and that is the Ten Commandment law, it is because there's no light in them. Now notice it says to the law into the testimony. 
If they don't speak according to this word, no light. Doesn't say no truth. Doesn't say no power. It says no light. Satan mingles truth and error. Satan mingles right and wrong, good and evil. But here, notice it says there's no light in them. What is light? Light is what you follow. See, and what is God saying? If they're not upholding my law, not leading you back to obedience to my law, and one of those commandments says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. If you have a so-called prophet that's not leading you back through the grace of Christ, exalting Jesus and exalting the law on the Sabbath, you know that that is not the genuine gift of prophecy. There are also physical tests of a true prophet. Prophets, when they were in vision, they always went into vision with their eyes open, according to Numbers 24, verse 4, and their eyes remain open through the vision. In that vision, the prophets would have no physical strength. You read that in Daniel chapter 10 and verse 8. So those two characteristics, physical characteristics of the genuine gift of prophecy. Genuine gift of prophecy, they are in vision with their eyes open, and when they have these visions, they have no human strength. Also, these prophets in vision, according to Daniel 10, verse 17, don't breathe. Now, you say, that's kind of strange, they don't breathe. The Bible says all Scripture is inspired by God. The word inspired in the original Greek language means God-breathed. So they have no breath. These physical phenomena accompany prophets in vision. Lastly, the prophets in vision have spiritual fruitage. Now, let me pause here for a moment. Each one of these tests, if the prophet fails anyone, you know it's a false prophet. The prophet isn't prophetically accurate when the prophecies aren't conditional. If the prophet isn't faithful to the Bible, if the prophet does not exalt Jesus but they exalt themselves, if the prophet does not lead men and women back to commandment keeping but endorses disobedience to the commandments, if the prophet doesn't manifest those physical tests, and all the genuine gift of prophecy has spiritual fruitage. Matthew chapter 7 verse 20 says, therefore by their fruits you will know them. So, you look at the life of the prophet. What is the lifestyle of the prophet like? Do they live in godly simplicity and lead people to Christ? Are they passionate about mission and sharing God's message with this world? What is the spiritual fruitage of the gift of prophecy? The gift of prophecy doesn't take the place of the Bible, of course. It exalts it. So, the true gift of prophecy always leading back to the Word. Some people say, well, I... I, I don't want to have anything to do with the gift of prophecy in modern days. All I want is the Bible. If all you want is the Bible, you accept the gift of prophecy because you'd accept the portion of the Bible that speaks about the gift of prophecy in the last days. Would one want to reject a gift that Jesus gave? Or would one, one want to rip out that portion of the Bible that talks about the gift of prophecy? Certainly, if we are Bible-believing Christians, we want to follow all of the Scripture. What does the Bible say about the gift of prophecy in the last days? Revelation 12, verse 17. The dragon, who's the dragon? Satan. Was enraged or angry with the woman who's at the church, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, that's his last church, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. 
one of the characteristics of God's last day church, in addition to keeping the commandments of God, is that it has the gift of prophecy. Shortly after the Middle Ages, from 538 to 1798, that Dark Ages period, God would raise up an end time movement. And it would be identified by keeping His commandments and having the testimony of Jesus, which is the gift of prophecy. Did you notice what Scripture says in Revelation about the gift of prophecy? What is that? What is this testimony of Jesus? Revelation 12, 17 says that the dragon, Satan, angry with the church, went to make war with the remnant, the last part of her seed, that keep the commandments of God. The devil is angry with God's church. And what is one of the identifying characteristics? It has the testimony of Jesus. And what is that? Revelation 19:10. The testimony of Jesus, the witness of Christ is the spirit of prophecy. The same witness of Jesus that beat in the breast of every prophet down through the centuries. The same witness of Jesus, the same testimony of Jesus would be manifest in God's last day church as the gift of prophecy. Now remember what the scripture said, the dragon is angry with the woman, the church. What do you think the devil would do with this last day church, this Bible-believing, Christ-centered, this Sabbath-keeping church? What do you think the devil would do? He would try to discredit the gift of prophecy. He would do everything he could on the internet and every other place to discredit the spirit of prophecy. He would do everything he could to cast away the confidence in the gift that Christ has given in the last days of earth's history. Notice what the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 12 verse 28, for God has appointed these in the church. Where would God appoint the genuine gift of prophecy? In his church in the last days, first apostles, secondarily prophets. If we believe we found God's church, we must find the true gift of prophecy within God's last day church today. But that leads us to a question. Does God's last day, Sabbath-keeping, Adventist, worldwide, international body, does it have the gift of prophecy? Did God raise up the gift of prophecy in the early days of the Advent movement, not to take the place of Scripture, not in any way to be higher, a higher authority than the Bible, but to guide this movement, to guide this newly formed church, just like in the book of Acts, when the Christian church was raised up, God raised up again the gift of prophecy to guide and direct the New Testament Christian church. Would God do that again? Has God blessed the Seventh-day Adventist church, a Bible-believing, Christ-centered, Sabbath-keeping, end-time movement? Has He blessed it with the gift of prophecy? If you do not find the gift of prophecy in the Adventist church, then Revelation's prophecies have not been fulfilled. The prophecy in Revelation 12, 17, talking about a commandment-keeping body with the gift of prophecy or the testimony of Jesus. If you look back at the history of the early Advent movement in the 1800s, did God raise up the gift of prophecy there? Looking back, we find that God blessed the mind of a young woman, a young woman in her teens, with visions and dreams. Her name was Ellen Harmon at the time, later to become Ellen White. 
During her prophetic ministry, she received more than 2,000 prophetic visions and dreams. She wrote over 50 original books and many books in compilation. She declared that Jesus Christ was her only Savior. She declared that the Bible was her only guide. And she opened her heart to receive the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and was guided by the gift of prophecy. But before we dismiss Ellen White too quickly, we need to raise some questions. Before we go typing on the internet and finding on the internet all this negative stuff, we need to raise some questions. One, did God actually promise to restore the gift of prophecy in the last days? We've seen from the Bible in Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, He did. Two, did God promise to put the gift of prophecy in His end-time church in the last days? We've seen from Revelation 12, 17, He did. Did God promise that he would have a church in the last days? And should we look for the gift of prophecy in it? Certainly. So then what must we ask? Here's the only question we need to ask then. Does Ellen White manifest in her life and teachings the characteristics of a true prophet? Let's leave aside everything else and just look at the six tests of the true gift of prophecy that we saw in Scripture and ask ourselves, does Ellen White meet the test of a genuine gift of prophecy? She lectured to thousands on three continents. And uh, James, George Wharton James at her death said this, this remarkable woman. And he wrote this in the book California the Beautiful. It was a book on California. And uh, she lived in California for a number of her life, certainly lived in Michigan, lived in California, traveled throughout America. But here's what James War George Wharton James said, this remarkable woman, though almost entirely self-educated, has written and published more books in more languages, which circulate to the greater extent than any other woman in history. Wouldn't you say, if Ellen White has written more books than any single woman in history, and if indeed she claims to be guided by the gift of prophecy, and if indeed she has nurtured and blessed God's people, God's church, wouldn't you say it's worth it at least, at least to take the time not to dismiss her lightly and go and look at the tests of the true gift of prophecy? Seventh-day Adventists believe in the Bible and the Bible only as the source of every Bible doctrine. Every teaching of the Adventist church comes directly out of the Bible. It does not come out of the writings of Ellen White. But Adventists cannot honestly deny the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the, rife, in the life and writings of Ellen White. Now let's look at the biblical tests of a true prophet. Let's apply them to Ellen White. First, prophetic accuracy. Remember, Scripture says in Jeremiah 28, if what they predict comes to pass. What are some of the predictions that Ellen White made in her day that seemed preposterous? Well, she wrote a lot about health, and she talked about a very high-fat diet. She talked about the danger of pork eating, and she talked about the result of that diet leading to premature disease and death. She encouraged men and women to get back to a more plant-based diet, the diet of Genesis. 
Today, science is just catching up with the writings of Ellen White in the field of health. Science is talking about a low cholesterol diet. Science is talking about moving to a more plant-based diet. Science is talking about eating more fruits, grains, nuts, vegetables in your diet, more seeds in your diet. One nutritionist said, we need to eat beans and seeds and greens in our diet. Yes, her predictions, her discussions about diet, why would God bring this to his church and his people? Because he does not want them to die prematurely. He wants his people to have life and have energy. Do Seventh-day Adventists believe that vegetarianism is a tenet of their faith in the sense that it is a matter of salvation? Not at all. But Adventists do believe that a plant-based diet is part of the diet that God gave in Genesis. Certainly God gave permission to eat meat at the time of the flood, but based on the Bible, we believe that the most ideal diet, according to Scripture and science is a plant-based diet. Ellen White wrote about that far before science ever mentioned it. You know, in Ellen White's day, she wrote in a book called Ministry of Healing, page 327, tobacco is a slow, insidious, but most malignant poison. Notice the word malignant. You know, if you have a malignancy, what's that? It's a cancer. So she wrote back over a century ago, well over a century ago, that, can that there were cancer-producing agencies in tobacco smoke. At that time, many, many of the physicians were predicting that uh, tobacco, were stating rather, that, that tobacco smoke was good for you. In fact, they said, if you have any lung conditions, you can read it in the medical literature of the day. They said, if you have lung condition, puff away on a cigar. Take in the deep breath and the, and the smoke will cleanse your lungs today. Surgeon General's report, 1964, United States, it said can't, tobacco smoking is related to lung cancer. How did Ellen White know that ahead of time? She wrote about prenatal influence far ahead of time. The attitude of the mother affects the unborn child. You look at the statements in health. She wrote, about spiritualism that would come. She talked about the phenomena of spiritualism at a time in the 1800s where many were Bible-believing Christians. And then you had the Hyde sisters in New York State with uh, the strange wrappings. And Ellen White said spiritualism will grow and increase. You read her prophetic accuracy and you say she passes that test. You go to biblical faithfulness. What did she say about the Bible and the Bible only? Don't go to the internet and say, oh, the internet says that Ellen, this about Ellen White. What does she say? To be fair, to be honest, look at her own writings. Here's what she says. Great Controversy, page 204 and 205. She says, in our time, there is a wide departure from their doctrines and precepts. That's the doctrines of the Bible. There is a need of a return to the great Protestant principle, the Bible, and the Bible only as the rule of faith and duty. She said, my works are a lesser light to point you to the greater light. So Ellen White herself points men and women back to the Word of God, back to the Bible as the only rule of faith and practice. The true gift of prophecy exalts Jesus Christ. It uplifts Jesus Christ. 
What does Ellen White say about Jesus? Gospel workers, she's writing to pastors, page 160, Ellen White says, lift up Jesus, you that teach the people. Lift him up in sermon, in song, and in prayer. Let all your powers be directed to pointing souls, confused, bewildered, lost, to the Lamb of God. She uplifts Jesus Christ. You read some of her books, Steps to Christ, The Desire of Ages, which is one of the most outstanding books for spiritual depth, spiritual insight on the life of Christ. You read Desire of Ages. I challenge you. If you have questions about the gift of prophecy, look at a book like Desire of Ages and say to yourself, does this lead me to Jesus Christ? Just simply go to a library, simply go on the internet and order Desire of Ages and say, does my heart warm when I read this book? When I read the story of the cross, the story of Christ's redemptive grace, the story of his love, does this move me? Fourth test, commandment keeping. What did Ellen White say about the Bible Sabbath? The modern gift of prophecy meets the test of accuracy and biblical faithfulness. Ellen White said that the Sabbath just like it says in Genesis, just like it says in Exodus, just like it says in Isaiah and Jeremiah, just like it says in the New Testament, just like Jesus kept the Sabbath and the disciples did. Ellen White says there's going to be a, a drift, a drift from worshiping the Creator. Men and women will be caught in the grip of secularism and atheism and turn to worship the creature rather than the Creator. And as they do, the True Sabbath will be disregarded. She calls us back to worship, true worship in the controversy between good and evil. She echoes Isaiah 8, verse 20, to the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to his word, it's because there is no light in them. She calls us back to commandment keeping in the law. What about these physical tests? Did anybody test her while she was in vision? There was a doctor called Dr. Drummond. Dr. Drummond was a skeptic. He said, I could test her in vision. I could see she does breathe. Ellen White went into vision. In his presence, eyes open, he came with a mirror. You can read the account, Dr. Drummond's account. He came with a mirror, tested her right before her face, said, I can, I can test whether there's breath. I'll see it on this mirror. Tried to test this prophetic vision. And as he did, this skeptic said, she does not breathe. Yes, you look at the physical test, eyes open, no strength in vision, no breathing in vision, exactly like the biblical prophets. What about spiritual fruitage? Yes, she passes the test of prophetic accuracy. No, she does not lead people away from the Bible. Yes, she leads people back to the Bible. She exalts Jesus Christ. She leads people back to the commandments of God. She passes the physical test. What about spiritual fruitage? The Seventh-day Adventist Church was raised up by God as a fledgling movement in the early and mid-1800s. The Advent movement came in the 1820s, 1830s, and then after the great disappointment in 1844 when Jesus Christ did not come. And many Adventists and Baptists, Pentecostals, many 
of the Church of England, many Congregationalists, particularly in Methodists, thought Jesus was coming. He did not come. They were disappointed. Out of that bitter disappointment, God raised up a Bible-believing, Christ-centered, Sabbath-keeping movement, and He raised up the gift of prophecy to guide that movement. What is the spiritual fruitage? Spiritual fruitage are schools around the world educating young people to know Jesus Christ. Seventh-day Adventists have the largest Protestant educational system in the world. What a spiritual fruitage. Over 13 million outpatients visit 785 Adventist hospitals, clinics, nursing homes, dispensaries, children's facilities, airplane and medical launches operated by the church around the world. Every year they are visited by these millions of outpatients and millions of people are served within the hospital system. Where did all this come from? Ellen White's visions, she had a vision that Adventists should establish schools where young people could be educated in the Bible and not the theories of worldly evolution and not the theories of atheism. She had visions where Adventists should serve, should bless their communities, should establish hospitals around the world. What is the fruitage? The fruitage schools, fruitage hospitals, fruitage a health message to bless the communities that where Adventist churches serve. What are the fruitage? Adventist churches who are committed to being that open door for their communities to reach out in their communities to make a significant difference in their communities. What is the fruitage? Books that lead men and women to Jesus Christ. Books like Steps to Christ on how to know Jesus. Books like Christ Object Lessons on the parables. Books like The Desire of Ages on the Life of Christ. Books on the great controversy based on this great controversy between good and evil. Books like Prophets and Kings and Patriarchs and Prophets that take you with deep insight through the Old Testament. You say, does God still lead people today? Does God still guide people today? Is God still leading men and women and boys and girls to his final last day movement? There are so many miracles taking place that are so amazing. Let me take you to Africa. A number of years ago in the country of Botswana, there was a bushman, bushman named Sukuba. One night he went to sleep. And in his sleep, he saw an angel-like being. And this being of dazzling brightness. And this angel-like being said, Sukuba, I want you to follow me. I want you to... To, to be guided by me. I'm going to guide you, and I'm going to guide you to the people of the book. And the people of the book will instruct you. The people of the book will teach you. The people of the book will prepare you to come back to your own people and teach them about the book. Sakuba didn't understand. The being of dazzling brightness, the angel came to him the next night. He said, I want you to follow me, and I'm going to lead you to the people of the book. Sakuba followed. Every day he would walk, and then at night he would get instructions. And as he got instructions, he would follow this instruction to the being of dazzling brightness. He came to a little mission station at the end of the jungle. He said, are you the people of the book? They said, we are. He said, is there a Pastor Moy here? The angel told me to follow Pastor Moy. No Pastor Moy here. Do you have the, the five books that are really nine? We don't know what that is. You must not be the people of the book that I'm looking for. He continued to follow the instructions of the angel. He came to the edge of the jungles. He found a mission station, and he said, are you the people of the book? Is there a Pastor Moy here? Yes. 
Yes, there's a Pastor Moy here. Pastor Moy brought out his old, worn Bible. And he said, that's the book I saw. I must find a people that base every teaching on the Bible. I must find a people that know Jesus Christ. But wait a minute. Do you have the five books that are really nine? Ellen White wrote nine volumes of testimonies to guide God's church, to direct God's church. But they were originally published in five volumes. Pastor Moy went. He got those five volumes. Yes, yes, that's what the angel told me. He stayed with Pastor Moy, was instructed, went back to his tribe and shared the Christ-centered message for the last days of earth's history. And there, his whole village became Bible-believing, Christ-committed, Sabbath-keeping Adventist Christians. God led Sakuba, and God is leading you, my friend. God is leading you through His grace. God's leading you. By His grace, God's leading you. Because of His grace, God is leading you to make that step to follow Him and listen as Celestine sings. If you could see what I once was, if you could go with me, back to where I started from, then I know you would see a miracle of love that took me. seen or done how could I dare to claim my smile the victories God has won 
Because God has saved you by his grace, because your heart has been opened to Christ, because you've been a seeker, because you've desired to follow his word and not the teachings of men and the deceptions of Satan, he's brought you to this network, to this station, to this program, to take a step in your life to follow him. Jesus is reaching out to you right now. Will you take his hand? Will you say, Jesus, you've guided me and directed me. I will follow you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, often we go through a struggle in our lives, but then you break through by your spirit. This is decision night for somebody right now. And I pray by the power of the living God that you would touch them and change them and lead them to you for that eternal decision. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for joining us for Revelations, Ancient Discoveries.
mic on. This completes this uh, Revelation episode 24 about the prophetic end time. Coming up next will be... Mic off. Mic on. Revelation's prediction of joy and disappointment. Stay tuned for that on the next episode. It's the Joseph saying, thank you for listening, and may the Lord bless and keep you, and may may shine on you and give you peace. Farewell for now. Mic off.